We're going to be in Ruth 3. If you'll open your Bibles with me for the reading of God's Word. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, whose young, whose, with whose young women you are? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before anyone could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and she told her all that, excuse me, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest and will and but we'll settle the matter today. This is the word of the Lord. God, let us pray. Father, we come before you at this moment of our week. We are tired and weary. Some of us are broken by sin or tragedy in our lives. My prayer this morning is that through the story of Ruth and Boaz, that Jesus would be made much of and exalted highly, and that those who are weak and weary would look to Christ and be encouraged, that there is 
a redeemer who loves and was willing to pay a costly price for them. So Lord, I pray that you would use me, a mere man, to proclaim your truths this morning. I pray that you would, Holy Spirit, be at work in all of our hearts. It's in the mighty and wonderful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, everyone. My name is JJ. I'm one of the pastors here. I lead our city groups, and uh, I get to preach on a somewhat regular basis. And so I am extremely excited to be preaching out of Ruth 3. And the reason is, is that if you don't know me, I love a good story. There's something about how a story can grab our attention, cause us to feel emotions, move us to action, and get us to think deeply or even change the trajectory of our life. Stories can be told in many mediums, through song, film, spoken, or written word. Well, my favorite way of taking in stories is through reading books. And for some of you, that comes to no surprise whatsoever, mainly my wife. For me, there's something about reading a story that can get to me unlike any other form of storytelling. I've chuckled, wept, gasped, and amen my way through many, many books. Again, all you have to do is ask Sarah. She will tell you the amount of times in our bedroom that I've chuckled at a book, and she's rolled her eyes. She's seen and heard it all. And that's why I love the book of Ruth so much. It is a wonderful story. It has compelling characters. It has ruin and redemption, a fledgling relationship, a risky encounter, and ends with hope even in the midst of hopelessness. In this morning's passage, we get to know a bit better a character in whom we, met, we came in contact last week. His name was Boaz. In this late night scene Ruth, with Ruth, we see a man who is willing to bear the weighty responsibility of providing, protecting, and serving for a woman seeking to become his bride. And in Boaz, we see him pointing us to our Father who does the same. This is a wonderful passage that unfolds a love story. And some some here may wonder, can or does the God of the universe care about me at all? I think that this passage will get to that answer. Quickly, I just want to give some background to where we're at so far in the story. If you remember, this story is taking place in the time of the judges, and there is a spiritual and a physical famine in the land. If you remember it, Judges, at the end of the book of Judges, it says basically that everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes, and they just are basically doing what feels good and is right for them. But besides just the spiritual famine, there's also the physical famine. And if you also recall that we are in the, 
in the town of Bethlehem, which means house of bread, there was no bread. So we see that there is physical and spiritual famine. But there's also an exile and return that has taken place. A family from Bethlehem, who was supposed to be the light of the nations, has exited the promised land to the east, just as Adam and Eve had been exiled from the east of the garden. And in Moab, tragedy strikes as this family, instead of being a light to the nations, ends up joining the nations, where Hebrew men are marrying Moabite wives. And all that is left at the very end is Naomi and her daughter-in-laws. Well, let's transition into the text this morning. Naomi, Ruth, however, has come to believe in the God of Abraham and returns with Naomi to the house of bread, which once again is full of bread. And we see that in the love of God, oftentimes Israel is pictured as a wayward wife because she runs constantly to other gods. And God, as a loving husband, who displays his loving kindness to her through keeping his covenant to the nation of Israel. So we're seeing that there is hope for these two widows. Now, this morning's text, Ruth 3, is, is quite difficult text to interpret let me just be clear here. This is not a text of example. This is a descriptive text that's meant to highlight some principles for us, but not one-to-one examples. So, for instance, I'm not going to tell you that if you come up after and say, hey, I'm really looking for a Boaz-type-like man. I'm not going to say, hey, you need to get your hair done, your nails done, put your best dress on, Go into this guy's house that you like, wait till he's asleep, and uncover his feet. That's not the way to do it. Again, this is a describing text. It's describing a historical event, not prescribing us on what to do. So then, what does Ruth 3 mean for God's people today? Well, I hope to to show this morning that this text displays, or that the big idea of this text is that God displays his loving kindness towards us by providing a redeemer. God displays his loving kindness towards us by providing a redeemer. And really, we're just going to go through Ruth 3 scene by scene, and that's how we'll break it down. What is striking in this book is that this providential care of God over Israel isn't done through signs or magnificent, mir- magnificent miracles by a prophet, but instead there are subtle signs in, every, in the everyday lives of common Israelites by which he displays over and again his kindness in fulfilling his promises. And these promises come from the Torah to set up the Messianic dynasty through one family. So let's get into 
the story. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So in this first scene, Naomi comes up with a plan. And her plan is to find rest and security for Ruth. It's a possibility that she might be a little discouraged because it's likely been up to seven weeks since the initial meeting of Boaz and Ruth. And so far, it doesn't seem like much has happened. So Naomi starts to to scheme a plan to make something happen. And I want you to, to catch this here. The idea of rest is prevalent throughout Scripture. Naomi plans this to honor her daughter-in-law, who has honored her through a protector, protector husband, which would be an answer to the prayer she prayed for Ruth in chapter 1, verse 9, that she would find rest. And which in turn, will find that will also help Naomi find great rest. And so basically, in Naomi's plan, she is saying, Ruth, you need a man. And then another interesting phrase that we see here is, that it may be well with you. And that's really interesting language because Ruth has assumed this role of a daughter for Naomi. And Naomi mentions here this language from the Ten Commandments of honoring father and mother. And says that it may be well with you. Now if you'll remember the promise from God to God's or from God to his children, is that if we obey and honor our parents, we will be protected and it will go well for us because obedience to parents is a loving, protecting, protection and provision that our Lord has provided to us in the law. And so Naomi points her back to Boaz, who has shown interest. You can imagine your mom doing this, right? That Boaz, he is such a nice man. <laughs> but what, really, what Naomi is really saying here, isn't he the kind of man who is eligible to redeem you as one of our possible redeemers who can make it well with you, who can give you rest? We can talk about this later, but this would have been built off the principles of the Leveret marriage covenant in the Torah, but I don't think the text is indicating that there is an obligation for Boaz to do this, as I think we'll see. I think the principle of it and the principles of a redeemer throughout the Torah are what Naomi is getting at here. And now Naomi points out where Boaz will be. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak. And go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. She says, hey, take a bath and put on some nice clothes. Now, most commentators think this to be a sign that Ruth has ended her mourning period for her husband who's died. Quite similar to David in 2 Samuel 12.20 as he ends his mourning and puts on new clothes. And that she is prepared 
to be a bride or that she is prepared to be eligible again. And this is quite possibly why Boaz has yet to pursue Ruth. But Naomi's plan is that Ruth not reveal herself to Boaz while he's eating and drinking and celebrating the harvest. So I'm not going to say that Ruth 3 is in any way dating advice, but this is probably good advice, right? It's not best to sit next down to, next, sit down next to someone who you're trying to, to date or have conversation with while they're, let's say, taking in a Super Bowl and eating a bunch of chips, chips and guac and say, hey, now's a great time for a DTR. <laughs> that's, that's really not what's not what happening. The harvest time was a big celebration, and so Naomi's like, hey, wait until they've celebrated, and then go and carry out the plan. Now, guys, this is kind of where the plan gets weird. Naomi says, but when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you will say, I will do. And she, so she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. What in the world is going on here? <laughs> Naomi has instructed Ruth to demonstrate her dependence on Boaz and make a marriage proposal, basically. This is a bold and shocking play. Um, not sure that this would probably would have been my first move and or advice, but hey, Naomi believes that this plan, if all goes according to it, that Boaz will get the hint and initiate from there. But she says, be careful to notice where he lies down, right? She wants to make sure that Ruth uncovers the right feet. It'd be pretty awkward if it was somebody else. But in verses 5 and 6, Ruth acts like a loving daughter who honors and obey her mother here. And in this, we see the character of Ruth as she carries out what her mother has told her to do. Now, some thoughts before we move on. This could seem like a reckless plan on Naomi's part. I mean, threshing floors could be a really seedy place. Uh, but, the author does n- <laughs> but the author does nothing to indicate that. It is likely instead a bold move of faith based on the knowledge and integrity, uh, her knowledge of the integrity of Boaz and his protection, which he has already demonstrated in chapter 2. Naomi does not believe Boaz will compromise Ruth's integrity. In fact, the author never doubts Ruth. He never doubts Naomi. They never doubt Boaz's integrity throughout the entire narrative. Naomi seems to believe that Boaz will respond as a redeemer based on his past actions and the principles of the Leverett and Redeemer laws to which Boaz is a law-keeping man. And we see that God here is even turning sin for good. Naomi's sons should not have married Moabites. And yet, God used this to accomplish his purposes. And thankfully, as we know, Ruth has thrown off all her old gods and goddesses 
and is a believer in the one true God of Israel. So next, we've got Naomi's plan. Next, we see Ruth and her acts. So Ruth acts on the plan. Look at verse 7 and 8. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. After celebrating the harvest and a good day's work, so Boaz, celebration, hey, we're done with the harvest. A lot of work, as we know, Boaz has quite a bit of land. He's eaten, he's, he's had some drink, he's not drunk. As we know in Psalm, wine gladdens the heart of man. He goes and lays down and protects the grain. He goes and lays down to protect the grain from thieves, from animals who might come and steal it. I mean, that's a lot of hard work. And then here comes Ruth. Softly, almost like a ninja. <laughs> or let's be honest, parents, like your kids at night when they come into your room and you don't know it until they wake you up. And she acts in a shocking way and she does what Naomi tells her to do. Now, a lot of questions have come my way from you guys leading up to this. And you've probably heard some of the things that I've read, but... This statement that uncovered his feet. Some have argued that that may be a sexual innuendo of some sort. But you know what? If I read all of Ruth, I, I, will, I, will be, I will stake a claim saying that there is no question to the purity of either Boaz or Ruth throughout the entire text. In fact... In the text, it says both are people of honor. So, now that's out of the way. Imagine this, imagine this scene. Just picture this with me. And for parents, again, you may not have to do a lot of, of, of thinking because it happens nightly. Around 2 a.m., you wake up thinking, there's a draft in here. Man, my feet, they're freezing. And you look down and, ooh, somebody is at the end of your bed. That's really awkward, right? <laughs> really awkward. And again, parents, that, that may be a nightly experience for you. But now, in a sense, how Boaz reacts to this marriage proposal means everything about his future and the future of God's people. And so what does he say? He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over, me, over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So he could have woken up and gone off and said, what are you doing? Why are you at my feet? But Boaz doesn't do that. This is a man of character. In fact, it's quite possible that what he really meant was, what can I do for you? And this is what Ruth does. She replies with a verbal marriage proposal in striking language. Spread your wings over me. 
spread your wings over me. She is saying, Boaz, be my refuge. Boaz, be my refuge. That's a pickup line, right? Be my refuge. Hey, take me under your wings. She is saying, I am your servant who is humbly at your feet asking you to redeem me. Now, Ruth uses a different label for herself here than she does in chapter 2. Here she says, maidservant, as opposed to a slave servant, which would have had very limited rights. And this new term means that she has the privileges of a servant who can bear an heir. Wow. And also in this spread your wings, this plea for marriage, she is saying, cover me and make me your own. And she is doing this by challenging him to fulfill his own prayer that he gave in chapter 2, verse 12. She is saying, be this symbol of the Lord's protection that you prayed for me. She is saying, protect me like a mother bird would take chicks under her wing and protect them from birds of prey. This word, wing, can also mean a garment. So spread your garment over a bride was a symbol used in Israel of marriage as a groom would spread his garment over his bride. And she reminds him that he is a redeemer who can fix her plight. Her tone, it sounds deferring, but she is making her intentions really clear by calling him a redeemer. So now, Ruth acts, and we see Boaz respond. We see Boaz respond, and look with me at verses 10 and 11. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Boaz responds with remarkable honor by calling her daughter and recounting her kindness. Now, remember, this is Israel in a field. We already know dangerous places. In fact, he encourages Ruth to stay with his ladies as she is collecting barley. Honestly, he could have taken advantage of her. Remember, this is a time when men were doing whatever they wanted and believed it to be right. And let's be honest, who was going to believe her if he had done anything? Instead, he honors her by proclaiming a blessing on her and showing integrity in the darkness. Boaz brings to her mind this kindness, this first kindness that she showed to Naomi. And this kindness that she shows to Naomi was by clinging to Naomi and to clinging to Naomi's God, even 
even though she knew that Naomi wasn't going to be able to provide a husband for her. Even though she knew that there was no prospect of hope, she clung to Naomi and Naomi's God. Boaz points out that he knows what's going on by saying that this second kindness is even greater than the first one that Ruth showed Naomi. He is quite honored that he didn't run out and go after younger men, whether rich or poor, right? I'm not really sure what the text is implying, but I'm guessing that he wasn't maybe the ideal marriage candidate, especially for a young foreign woman. I mean, we're talking that he's probably older, around Alex's age maybe, um, maybe not the best-looking guy. We don't know, but, but his response would give us belief that he was not much to look at. But he is a man of great integrity and character. And you know what? Ruth runs after that, right? She runs after that. And we see this theme of kindness, which is the Hebrew word hesed here. And hesed is a Hebrew word that involves love, grace, compassion, faithfulness, loyalty, and mercy. Man, that's, that's like a huge definition for something that we translate into kindness or loving kindness. But there's weight in this word kindness, even though we may not catch the whole thing. Ruth's kindness to Naomi is caring for the widow. She is displaying her clinging to God and following his ways. And now she shows this kindness to Boaz, even though he is much older than Ruth. And this also likely shows that neither Ruth nor Boaz were bone were bound by the Leveret laws, which is why I believe Naomi and Boaz are acting on the principles rather than the law. He says, you could have gone after younger men, whether rich or poor. Instead, she goes after him. And so he says, do not fear. Boaz is stepping in as he has before to provide for her. Then we see this really interesting phrase. And we see him to refer to her as a worthy woman, which, if you know your Bible, is a very similar translation to what is in Proverbs 31.10. And what's interesting is that in the Hebrew Bible, that Proverbs comes before Ruth. And 31 is the last chapter in the book of Proverbs. And so, while not maybe the best interpretation, it's a wonderful picture that we have a Proverbs 31 woman given to us in Proverbs and then shown what the Proverbs 31 woman looks like in the woman of Ruth. And so, Ruth is an example of Proverbs 31, worthy woman, where it says, let her works praise her 
in the gates. And what Boaz is saying is that all his fellow townsmen and elders, when they speak at the gates, they call her worthy. I don't think that's much of a coincidence. Well, Ruth has gone from being a foreigner and a slave to a, a slave servant to a Proverbs 31 example. Do you think that you are outside of God's grace? No chance. No chance. What praise to the grace of our God in redeeming a Moabite rebel who placed her faith in him. In a sense, now her faith and change are on full display as she has gone from a rebel alien to one who walks in the law of God by honoring her mother and caring for the widow. In addition, Boaz, who points us to a greater redeemer, who cares for those the world may not. And I don't want to get too far out and go too much on a tangent, but men in particular in this room, if you say to yourself that you can never marry a non-virgin, well, all I can say is that I'm thankful the one to whom Boaz points to didn't feel the same way. The author is here showing us the rich heritage of the messianic forerunner King David, and even though we are in the time of the judges, there is a faithful remnant called worthy. Both Boaz and Ruth are called that in this book. Why? They are people of loving kindness. In verses 12 and 13, And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight. And in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. Now, for the first time in this unfolding story, there's a hitch. Boaz, though again not bound, is acting upon the spirit of the law and pointing out that there is another redeemer who has more right so there is someone before Boaz that would have right to the kinsman redeems, redeemer covenant. But Boaz is such a law-keeping, upright man that he is not willing to even be improper with the law. He keeps even the spirit of the law. He is the law-keeper. This also demonstrates that anything does in regards to Ruth, he does out of kindness not obligation. He is not bound by the letter of the law. Instead, he is driven by his loving kindness. He will do this because he loves her. Boaz makes clear here that either way she will be redeemed and does so by this solemn promise. As long as the Lord lives. He's saying, I will make sure you are redeemed either by me or by someone else. And there, we could go on a long, drawn-out tangent on the Old Testament theme of kinsman, redeemer. But I only want to say this, that God had established Israel as his people and put in the laws ways to care for his people, to safeguard them, especially family members. Some of those being close relatives stepping up for the care of widows and 
and Shane last week explained that a little bit more fully, but I just want to remind you of that. And so Boaz is saying, you will be under my protection, a once Gentile, now you will have a Hebrew redeemer. The glorious truth that God makes outsiders insiders. People excluded from the people of God, brought into the people of God, Boaz is being a light to the nations, whether he realizes it or not. We see in Boaz many characteristics of, godly, of the godly man who obeys God's law. He cares for the widow, the poor, the foreigner, the marginalized. That is Ruth. That is Naomi. He is saying, I will make sure you, a formerly unworthy Moabitess, will be redeemed even if it costs me social and financial gain. It was risky. It was risky for, Bo- for Boaz to do this. Here in the time of Judges, when men took what they wanted, this man in the dark gave, himself, gave of himself even when it would cost him as he cares for a widow and a bride above himself. That's real love. Self, that's self-sacrifice displayed in his willingness to endure a significant cost and caring for a widow and her family. And who, would, who knows? Ruth had been married for 10 years and not produced any children. How could we be sure that she would bear a child for Boaz? Boaz is godly. He loved God and neighbor here. Let's read 14 and 15. She lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another, and he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. these two verses are all about how Boaz honors Ruth. He honors her by protecting her reputation and by feeding her. He wanted her to lie until morning and to leave before she could be recognized to protect her reputation. He didn't want the wrong idea that something untoward took place, nor that he had taken his right over the other redeemer. So he says, leave before you can be recognized. In addition, it could have been dangerous, right? It could have been dangerous at night, and so he protects her by having her stay. In verse 15, Boaz also honors her with provision. And in a sense, he seals his promise with food. He is a protector of honor, and through provision, he feeds her. Everything that belongs to him is beginning to belong to her. This is the kind of man you want to provide, protect, and honor. That is true love. The provision that he gives Ruth is quite large. And in study, I saw 100 pounds 200 pounds, 80 pounds, 
Man, either way, Ruth like needed to get into CrossFit to be able to carry it all back to Naomi. It was a lot, six measures. But in all seriousness, we are seeing grace upon grace, kindness upon kindness, as he acts to feed and provide. And we have a God who feeds as well. When we see it as this kind of kindness, how can we not devote ourselves to him? A God who provides over and abundantly our every need. And lastly, this last scene in the story, Naomi receives, verses 16 through 18. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So she gets back, and Ruth gets back, and Naomi's like, Hey, how did it go? And Ruth sits down and tells her everything. And this is highlighted by the wordplay at the end of verse 17, where it says, she didn't come back empty-handed. If you remember back in chapter 1, Naomi was the one in 21 that said that she came back empty. And now she knows what it means to be full. Boaz is a means of the Lord's kindness to Naomi as she receives fullness where she was once empty. And this is much like the story of the prodigal, where Naomi has fled from the father's land of sin and returned with nothing, only to have the father welcome her home and bless her with bread in the house of bread. Imagine this. And this is Naomi. You've lost your husband and sons and endured famine, and now there's bread and the possibility of a redeemer. Wow, we've gone from famine to fullness. Naomi once thought that she was empty and now there is the prospect of a full and joyful life. And now Naomi says, sit or wait or rest. The man's gonna get it done. He is an honorable man and he will settle it today. Boaz is the man, right? He is the man. He's going to get it settled. Guys, what a story. What a story. This love story that we see here is a story that we see in Scripture. It's a story of resurrection, of famine to fullness, from curse to blessing. Israel would have been reading this story in exile when once again, like Adam and Eve, like Naomi, they were exiled out of the promised land in captivity. And Israel would be identifying with Naomi as once again the seed that we see in Genesis 3.15 is threatened. As instead of a king of David's throne, there are dead sons. And the burning question in their minds is where 
is the Davidic king. But then, once again, God's loving kindness would return us to Bethlehem. Praise God that this is not the end of the story for Israel or for us. God would show his loving kindness to sinners and providing another redeemer. You see, there will be another redeemer. There will be a day when we find ourselves back in Bethlehem at the birth of another redeemer, a son of Boaz, another redeemer who would take vulnerable sinners under his wings saying, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. There will be another Redeemer who is a light to the Gentiles, who shows loving kindness to the sojourner, to which Paul says that there were those of us that were once strangers to the covenant of promise, aliens to the commonwealth of Israel, having no hope and with God, without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. Another son of Boaz, who will feed the, last, the least of these, the widows and the sojourners. And in great irony, it is said, whenever we do this for the least of these, we are doing this for Jesus. Brothers and sisters, When we are caring for the least of these, we are caring like Boaz did for Ruth and Naomi, and we are caring for Jesus. There is another Redeemer who provides bread and wine for his people, who abundantly feeds the hungry, but this would be bread and wine of his body. He would go to the cross and offer himself. There will be an even greater love story in which a redeemer takes him for himself a bride. You see, Boaz points to this redeemer who protects and saves. And Ruth and Naomi point us to the church, the outcast, the stranger, the vulnerable, the ones outside the fold who need to be saved, not just from earthly worry, but from eternal ones and our sin. And this Redeemer takes us a bride and gives us an imperishable inheritance, everything that belongs to him. And like this Redeemer, Boaz would not rest until the matter was settled. He would say, I must work the works of him who sent me and that I have baptism that I must undergo. And he would redeem us at a great cost his life as hour after hour he would hang there purchasing an eternal reward for his bride settling the matter until he cried out it is settled it is finished and on a Sunday morning like this one he would show that this inheritance for his bride was imperishable an imperishable one because he would walk out of a hole in the ground providing that forever he will protect us and even death itself won't have ultimate dominion over us. That is good news. And you see, only three things had to be in place for someone to be a redeemer. One, that you had to be related by blood. Two, that you were able to pay the price. And three, 
that you were willing to redeem. And you see, we have such a redeemer made like us in every way, in, by flesh and blood, Jesus Christ, yet without sin, who was able to pay the price and willing, as he says, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down freely, willingly. Here is the greater Boaz, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. If you, if you don't believe that Jesus is the greater Boaz, if he is not the Redeemer of your life, you may think, sitting in your seat this morning, that you are beyond redemption. You are not. Christ stands willing to save and to redeem you. Fall like Ruth at the feet of the Redeemer and say as she did, please, make me your own. And, she, and he will give you rest. And guess what? He will cover you with his righteousness as a husband would cover his bride with a garment. Brothers and sisters, let us be encouraged by grace this morning. Consider, why in the world would this one, this, this redeemer set his affection on us? Grace. Absolute grace. And now, we who have been redeemed, protected, provided for, we need to be Boaz to others. We need to look out for the interests of one another. We need to look out for the interests of the poor and the needy, for the widow, for the sojourners. Since our future is secure in Christ and our inheritance is imperishable, we're playing with house money. How can we not spend it lavishly on others? Guys, this is freely given to us, and we can give all that we have in response to him. Guys, we can trust with eyes of faith that our God is working, even in ordinary circumstances that will never be written about in any type of story. He is quietly increasing his glory through your faithfulness. William Cooper, who is one of my favorite hymn writers, penned the words to this hymn we've sung here a few times called There is a Fountain. And in the fourth stanza, he writes, Ere since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die, and shall be till I die, and shall be till I die. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. Brothers and sisters, let this be our anthem in our ordinary, mundane, day-to-day -day lives. That redeeming love would radiate from us. Jesus, the church's true husband, is a redeemer that's greater than Boaz 
who so loved his bride that he would give up his inheritance. He would set aside his heavenly throne room garments, put on this thing we called flesh and blood, and he would set his face towards Calvary and spill his own blood to rescue, to protect, to provide for, and to redeem his bride. And so now may we as his bride be fed by him at his table. Let us pray. Jesus, Jesus, you are our great redeemer. When we were aliens and enemies against you, you went to the cross and bore our sins. There was nothing in ourselves that we could do. We were dead. Yet by your wounds, we not only have been healed, but we've been made alive. You've covered us in your righteousness. And now as your church, your bride, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to treat your inheritance as a gift that has been freely given, that we wouldn't be stingy because this inheritance that we've been given, it's never going to be destroyed. It's never going to pass away. And we can freely give our lives and service and joy and glory for you. Oh, Jesus, I pray that you would help us today and give us hope, hope that you will come again. It's in your name we pray, amen.